You are listening to Venture Church Podcast. For more information, visit jointheventure.com or facebook.com slash jointheventure. We hope you enjoy. Karate Kid. There are some movies that I am just thankful for. Just because this is like, wow, who knew that Wax in the Car could teach me karate? I did not even know that. But he totally learns it. We are in the final week, as I mentioned earlier, of our throwback series, and we're using 80s movies as a platform to dive into God's Word. And uh, if this is your first time joining us and you're like, I thought I was coming to church today. I saw Diamond Dave earlier, and he was teaching me what a ninja star was. And then I see uh, Mr. Miyagi. No, you're in the right place. Uh, But our goal is to have fun, man. There's no reason to not have fun while we learn about what God does uh, in our life. And, you know, so we've taken a look at some of these 80s movies as a a, a platform to dive into God's word. But uh, who would have thought that in week one we could take uh, Marty McFly and Doc Brown from Back to the Future and learn about repentance? You remember that? Check it out on our podcast. Uh, in the second week, we, we learned uh, from Inigo Montoya, from Princess Bride. We learned about forgiveness. Last week, uh, Patrick preached from the Goonies, but what he talked about was this adventure of life and what it means to experience God's love through it. And so it's this full picture of what we can see uh, by looking at so many things that are common to us. But man, there is truth that we can learn, and God has it for us. The question is, what in the world could we learn from Mr. Miyagi and Daniel son? Wax on. <laughs> Wax off. There's a lot of stuff in there. Uh, if you haven't seen this classic, uh, here's a little recap. Uh, you, you met Daniel. Uh, he calls him Daniel Sun. Because I guess that's what you do when you become like a, a sensei genius. You, call, you add son to the end of everyone's name. Uh, but you meet Daniel. He's moved to Southern California with his mom. Uh, I guess she's a single parent home. And like when he arrives, he, he runs into this gang, the Cobra Kai. And uh, they were all karate experts. And, and they were kind of bullying him. Um, this movie was before bullying was all in the mainstream and being talked about. But you got to see the results of like what happens when some new guy gets picked on. And so uh, meanwhile, he runs into to this unassuming handyman, Mr. Miyagi, who also happens to be a karate expert and needs some chores done around the house. Um, this movie came out in 1984. I want to introduce you to 1984 daniel Son. This is a picture of, of daniel Son in 1984. He was actually 23 years old when he played this role, but dreamy. Look at that. Those eyes. Look at that. Um, it, it's been a long time. He was 23 years old. Uh, I want to show you a picture of daniel Son today. Here he is. Oh, yeah. Still dreamy. But 53, yeah, and this is an interesting, uh, interesting tidbit. This guy is the, a year older than Mr. Miyagi was when they filmed the movie. Yeah, woo, let that blow your mind for a second. He's 53, uh, but totally still dreamy. Um, so in any movie, there's tension. In fact, that's what makes movies and stories and books great. We love the tension. We love, we love the, the, the conflict and the resolution. We love to see that come together. In fact, that's a lot of what Patrick talked about last week. Every great story has this struggle, this conflict, this tension. And in The Karate Kid, the tension comes from a couple different places. One, you've got him moving. He's a new kid. And then he's, he's also an underdog. He's getting bullied. And then there's this like awkward teenage romance thing happening. I don't even know. like Why do they put that stuff in movies? It should be all about the fighting. They're like, but there needs to be a love story. I guess it makes more money. I don't know. Uh, and, and then ultimately there's this struggle that he has to become a karate expert, right? And, and go to this big tournament and, and win all the cheese puffs or whatever he's fighting for. Um, every great story has to have the struggle. They've got to have the conflict. It's got to have the tension. And I think that's why we're so drawn to movies and to books because life is the same way. Am I right? Like life is like you wake up in the morning and you're like, Oh, it's going to be one of those days. What does that mean? 
conflict, tension, struggle, problems. It means we're going to hit something, a wall that we didn't expect, or an obstacle that we knew was waiting for us when we get to work. How do we manage that? And so we love to see the hero kind of overcome that. Last week, Patrick talked a lot about the struggle and the adventure and the journey. This week, what I want to talk about is that kind of next step. It's kind of, how do I rise above the struggle? How do I get past that? Because granted, it's important to have the journey, but isn't there more? Isn't there something that could get me beyond just the struggle? Because there are a lot of things that can rain on our parade. You, you can get laid off from your job. You can, uh, you can have a sickness come in your family. Someone's diagnosed with a disease. Maybe you've got a relationship issue. You're dating someone, or you wish you were dating someone, or you were married to someone, and in that whole relationship just kind of, it went sour. And you didn't see it coming, and there's these things. They rain in our parade. There's, uh, there, there's a thing like the death of a loved one. I want to speak to a few of you this morning. I heard about the death of, of a, a, a lady here in Wilmington that was just, I think it was last night. And she's like 30 years old, and I know she's a mutual friend of several of you. And we had a little prayer circle for her and her family earlier this morning. And I look at that, and you're like, no one, no one saw that coming. It's, it's, it's a rain in our parade. It's a struggle. It's a conflict. And how do we rise above that? How do we get beyond that? Last week, uh, I got to go on vacation, and, and it was our family vacation. We go once a year somewhere, um, and uh, it was so awesome because we went camping, and we spent seven days camping beside a mountain stream. No electricity, no internet. It was awesome. Some of you are like, that is my dream vacation, and some of you are like, that's your idea of a vacation? <laughs> that sounds like work. And to each his own. But I loved it and was just sitting there by the trickling mountain stream the whole time and just enjoying ourselves. And over the course of our vacation, we got to do something that was pretty fun. Have you ever been tubing down a mountain creek or river? So awesome. If you've never seen it, it's kind of like a miniature version of whitewater rapids, okay? You get, like, you get a little tube, kind of like the thing you'd pull behind a boat to drag kids along and make them fall out and drown. And, but you do it all by yourself. You're like, yay. Um, and you sit in this tube, and, and you're going down. And, and so I'm riding in this tube, and it's, it's a great adventure because sometimes there's rapids, and there were some places that were even big enough they could actually uh, throw you off of your, off, off of your tube. Uh, other places that are smooth and calm. My, my son and I, we're all about getting thrown into the water, the freezing cold water. And my daughter and my wife are like, we're good. Like, we'll just sit in the tube. And so as you're floating around, uh, life is compared often to a river or a body of water. Like, you see this in, in, in metaphors throughout poetry, throughout uh, literature, through the ages. Life has been compared to a river. And I think that is a good reason for that. I mean, there's this flow. There's a starting point. There's an ending point, And all along the way, it changes and it bends, right? And so sometimes you get faced with these big rapids, and sometimes you get thrown out, right? And sometimes you end up in the freezing cold water, and then sometimes you get stuck on a rock. <laughs> and sometimes you get the nice, smooth, easy parts with the sun shining, and you're laying back getting a tan. Life is a lot like that river. Sometimes we are at the mercy of the current, Anybody have one of those days? I mean, it's just life. It's just like, and you're like, whoa, I, I hate this, but there's nothing I can do to it for it because it's powerful. And there's nothing that we can do to fight against the current. But here's what I've learned is that the longer that we live in and ride on this, this river, the more we begin to understand some of the possibilities that maybe God has some things that, yes, some things that are out of our control, but other things where God has provided a better way out for us, a way to rise above, a way to get through the struggle. And so I spent several hours in that tube. We went twice. Each time was almost a couple hours long, and it was really fun. And what I learned was the more that I ride, 
the more that I understand the tendencies of the water, and I can kind of see what's coming ahead of me, the more I understand, like, this would be a good time to use my feet to kick off a rock so I don't get stuck. And more times I understand, like, when I get stuck, I don't just have to look there and go, oh, I'm stuck, oh, no. I go, the water's three inches deep. I could really just get out <laughs> and push the thing. Like, you know, you learn. I think life is like that, too. You go along life, and the more you live, and the more you especially interact with people who have been there, done that, the more you understand, like, okay, the, a lot of the parts of the river are fairly predictable. In fact, there's some things that I think that if I can learn some, some tools and some skills, I could probably get through these hard parts a little bit easier. And maybe God has a better way. Believe it or not, I think Mr. Miyagi may have left us with one of the most memorable concepts ever in this movie to help us understand a huge truth from God. Uh, I want to tell it to you one time. I'm going to paraphrase a lot of things that Mr. Miyagi says to Daniel's son, but this is kind of, this is kind of, I want to tell it to you one time, and then we're going to read it and learn it together, okay? But this is the phrase. He says this, focus, Daniel's son, wax on, wax off, sandy floor, paint the fence. That's it. Believe it or not, that's the big truth. Right, here it is here. We're going to actually, I think we can memorize this, okay? So you can do it with me. You can even use your best uh, stereotypical Asian karate expert accent if you want to, okay? And we're going to do this. Ready? Let's do this. Focus, Daniel Sun. Wax on, wax off, sand the floor, paint the fence. Oh, that was beautiful. Oh, we're done. Let's pray. Uh, no, let me explain that. Uh, grab a Bible. We're going to use this as our platform to dive in. If you've got a Bible with you this morning, uh, open it up to the book of Hebrews. If you don't have a Bible, that's totally cool. We give them away for free. Uh, they're kind of scattered under your seats as you're sitting there. There's also some back by the coffee area. And the Bible will be up on the, the screen behind me, at least the parts we'll be reading will be on the screen behind me. But we'll be in Hebrews today. Hebrews is very near the end of the Bible. We're going to be in chapter 12 and starting at verse 1. I want to give you some context for the book of Hebrews. Uh, the book of Hebrews uh, is, is, like I said, near the very end of the Bible, and it's actually written to a Jewish or Hebrew Christian audience, the people who have like uh, Jewish and Hebrew heritage but who are Christians. And what it does throughout the book is it, it, it explores some Old Testament principles. And so the Old Testament is that first two-thirds of the Bible uh, that talks about the history of the Jews and the nation of Israel and the kings and the prophets and all that stuff. If you don't know about all that stuff, that's totally cool. If you do, you kind of get where we're coming from. But that's, that's where it is. The book of Hebrews takes those principles and it connects it to the life and the work of Jesus. And it basically bridges that gap and says, listen, there's a reason why Jesus came from the Jewish people. And there's also kinds of really cool things in there. In Hebrews chapter 11, which we're not going to be reading, but I want to kind of give you the background on it. In Hebrews chapter 11, the author goes through and he kind of outlines a list of what has become known as the Hall of Fame of Faith. It's a chronological list of faithful people throughout history. People who trusted God, even many men like a guy named Abraham who didn't even know God. But when God kind of speaks to him, Abraham goes, I feel like I can trust you. And he leads his whole life faithing in God, trusting in God, and going through life knowing that God will take care of him. And so the book of Hebrews chapter 11 goes through this long list of people like Abraham. And you look at that, and then when you get to chapter 12, it starts out with this phrase. He calls these people in chapter 11 a great cloud of witnesses. In other words, I said this earlier, this phrase, these are people who have been there, done that. A great cloud of witnesses. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11, and I just want to start off and just read uh, just the first verse. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, people who have been there and done that, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance 
the race that's marked out for us. He replaces my river metaphor with a race, okay? But I've got to get through life. So take a step aside. First, I, I got you to imagine something. You're, you're in a stadium, okay? You're surrounded by people. I got to go to a Hammerheads game last night. It was pretty awesome. Uh, Paul and Stephanie, their daughter got sick at the game. We were there with them, and they're not here. So I was going to be like, thanks for going, taking us to the game. But also, this week uh, is probably the greatest week of the year. I don't know if you realize this. Um, speaking of stadiums, uh, the great, it's, not, it's not my birthday. It's not Christmas. It's what is it? Opening week of the NFL regular season. It's football season, y'all. Yes. Like the drought is over and we can finally watch sports that I care about. And so um, it's been fun watching other sports. As cool as tennis is, and I'm really glad the Italians got to play yesterday. You, some of you watch ESPN. The rest of you are like, I keep preaching, man. It's the start of the regular season, and Thursday night was great to get to watch uh, just, you know, the Patriots and the Steelers play and to get to see all the action again. It's like, yes, fantasy football's back, and, uh, and so all this is going on. But here's the thing about football. I want to tie it into this great cloud of witnesses that we were just talking about. Uh, as you look at a football stadium, um, if you go to a, an average, you know, NFL stadium, there's like 100,000 seats, more or less, okay? That's a lot of people. That's the population of a big city. 100,000 people are in this stadium all at the same time, and they all have one thing in common. Everyone in the stadium believes that they can play football better than the people on the field. <laughs> They're all like, oh, you idiot. Like, they, they, they could definitely, like, official the game better. They're better referees. They can do all that stuff. And they're that's why we yell at our TVs, right? Like, we believe that we can do football better than football people. And so that's what's happening in the stands, and they feel like they know everything that's going on. Now, when this writer talks in Hebrews chapter 12 about this great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, I want you to imagine that they've all come before us. They've all run the race. They've all been there, done that. They've gone to the finish line. Now they've climbed into the stands, and they're sitting there to cheer you on. And they're yelling at the TV. But here's the difference. They know how to play football. They've been there, done that. They've run the race. Many of them have been stuck on the rocks and thrown out of the raft and had the cold water experience. And so it's so awesome to get to look at the people that have come before us who have been in the faith and look at their lives and go, what could I learn from you? And so as we look at the rest of this passage in, in Hebrews chapter 12, um, what I want to see is what can we learn from them? Let's go to verse 2, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. So this is what it says. It says, so fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God? Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Focus, Daniel, son. Wax on. Wax off. Sand the floor. Paint the fence. The first lesson that I think we can get out of this Hebrews passage, and even from Mr. Miyagi, is that focus Daniel said, look, look back at verse 2. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Focus. When Daniel is looking all around and, and he's just going through these motions, he's like, wax on, wax on, like, wax on, wax off. And it's like, no. And this is what he says. I'm going to quote Mr. Miyagi. He says, concentrate. Look at eyes. Always at eyes. <laughs> Focus. What are you? What are you looking at? What's going before you? There are so many things that can distract us. There are so many things in life that instead of focusing on God and focusing on Jesus and the path that he's laid out for us, we get distracted and we're like pulled off to the side. And what is that for you? Like, you know what it is. I can't try to put it in, in your mouth for you. But what is it for you? This is what the writer says. He says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. I, I really like the way this is phrased. 
because we see the word sin there. It says throw off the sin that easily entangles us. And I think that, um, you know, you might be new to church and God. This might be your first time here. I don't know. And, and I just want you to know, like, we're a community that is very much about that. If you just come here for the first time and you're just trying to see what church is about or at least see what this church is about, that's great. But here's something that we as a community embrace is that sin is bad and it keeps us away from God, okay? And so it makes sense that he would say, throw off the sin that easily entangles you. But there's this other phrase. He says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. Is it possible that there are things in our life that keep our focus off Jesus that aren't necessarily sinful? I worked in youth ministry for 10 years, and, and so often I would see families who would engage their kids in like 14 travel sports, and they're the best soccer players and softball players in the United States of America. Literally, I had a girl that was part of our group who played in national softball, chip, softball championships, um, but the cost of that was that family never got their kids involved in church or God. And so is softball good? I'm not calling them out. In fact, since then, I'm really proud of this girl. She's kind of come to faith on her own. It's a really cool story. But when I look at that, I go, softball's not bad. I love sports. I just spent a whole few minutes talking about football. It's great. But are there some things that hinder us from focusing on God? Are there some things in our schedule and in our, I don't know, our checkbook and on our calendar and things that we do at work and things that we watch on TV and things that we do on the internet and things that we say and the people that we hang out with, are there things in our life that might not ultimately be sinful, but that hinder us? Focus, Daniel, son. We want to rise above the rapids. We want to not get thrown out unexpectedly. Focus is key. And it's not just focus on any old thing. He says, set your eyes on Jesus. I want to take a side note here because maybe some of you are stuck with disadvantages that you literally have been at the mercy of the current. I mean, you had nothing to do with the problem that's happening in your life right now. Uh, I have a friend who recently I just talked to, and they were diagnosed with an incurable form of cancer. Man, come on, like, and they're young, they got kids. Like, what do you do with that? You can't, like, plan ahead for that. You can't, what do you do? What do you do when, when, you, when you're in a relationship that's really messed up, but you're doing your best to keep it afloat? Like, what do you do when, when you, your business collapses and you get laid off it's just because it just happened? The econ- you can't control the economy, right? You can't control what your neighbors do. You can't control what your, your, your kids' friends do at school and teach them. So you're literally at the mercy of the current. What do we do about that? A few weeks ago, we talked about this. Jesus says this phrase, and it's beautiful. Jesus says, I don't want you to pretend like it never happened. Instead, what I want you to do is come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. See, the answer is still focused on Jesus. Jesus said, bring that mess to me. I know it's heavy. I see it in your life, and I, man, I am so sorry that's going on. I'm so sorry that that person did that to you or that this is happening in your life. But what I want you to do is do your best to lay it at my feet and trust me with it and trust me with the doubt and trust me with the fear. I will give you rest. Drop it off. I can handle it. Focus, Daniel, son. Set your eyes on Jesus. Uh, it's, it's a question, like, we look around the world, and there's a lot of good things you could focus on. Look at world religion, and there's a lot of religions you could pour your, your heart into. There's a lot of uh, really good community things you could get involved in. So why Jesus? Jesus says, these are his words, and, and there's a whole lot of, I could say about it, but he says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus did these amazing miracles. He rose from the dead. And so when Jesus talks about all this stuff, he says, listen, I want you to come to me because I have the power to deal with it. And I love what the writer here says. He says that Jesus is the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. That word pioneer is huge. Like he, he blazed the trail for us. 
He's been there, done that. He's not just sitting up on some pedestal going, do as I say, not as I do. He's going, no, I, I've been there. I've lived life. First lesson from Mr. Miyagi, focus Daniel's son. You with me? That was easy, right? I'm going to keep on going through the river. Um, after we begin to focus, we're going to focus on the, uh, the next little section of that paraphrase of Mr. Miyagi. What does he say? Focus Daniel's son. Say it with me. Wax on, wax off. Sand the floor, paint the fence. He also paints a house, but we don't have to talk about that. What in the world does that have to do with Jesus? <laughs> Everyone come to my house and wax my car. The end. No, not at all. The, the Hebrew writer continues, and in verse 4 through verse 11 of chapter 12, he goes on, it's seven verses there, and I'm not going to read all of them. I'm only going to read three of them. Um, but in the next seven verses, he gets into this, this, kind of, this kind of conversation, and this one word pops up over and over and over again. In fact, this one word is used ten times. We're going to only read three of those verses, and in those three verses, that same word pops up five times. And so I just want to read the verse to you and see if you can just intuitively see what that, that word is. We're going to start in verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 12, and this is what it says. It says, endure hardship as discipline. You remember that getting stuck on a rock, getting thrown in the rapids, life is hard. Hardship. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his child. For what children are not disciplined by their father? We skip to verse 10. They disciplined us for a while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our own good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. Am I right on that? I didn't say that. That was the Bible. But yeah, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. However, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. There was a word that came up five times in that three verses. I don't know if you call it. Did you see it? The word was discipline. Discipline. I'm going to give you one. of. There's lots of definitions for discipline. Here's one definition on the screen here. One definition of discipline is cultivating mind, body, soul, and morals through what? What's that last word? Training. A lot of times when we think about uh, discipline, we think about it from the ne negative aspect, like discipline equals punishment. And most of us who feel that way is because we have children. <laughs> and we're like, yeah, i got to discipline my children, which means I'm going to have to take something away from my child. But it's not intended to be a negative thing. In fact, this better understanding, a fuller picture of what discipline is, is not punishment, but training. Exercising, cultivating our mind, body, and soul, and morals through training. Maybe you saw a story last week. It was, it was on the news uh, all over the place. It was also, I saw it on Facebook. Um, I don't know why this story got on the news, but there was this guy, his dad, and he gets a call from his daughter. I think she was 13 or 14 years old. And she calls him. She goes, hey, Dad, um, I just wanted to tell you, uh, you owe $541.36 to the cell phone company for my cell phone bill. <laughs> okay, you're dad right now. And your daughter just told you owe $541.36 to the cell phone. I'm like, I owe that? It turns out that she had run up over $500 extra bill by posting on Instagram. I don't know if she's posting full-length movies. Like, I don't know what she's doing on Instagram to run up a $541.36 bill. But she, I love what happens. As the story plays out, and this is why it was what hit the media, because the way the dad dealt with, this, dealt with this was amazing. So what he does is he goes home, and he's like, okay, okay, I'll be home in a minute. We'll deal with that. I'm sure if you're the daughter, you're like, oh. <laughs> but he goes home. He takes everything away from his daughter. Not just her cell phone, not just like her tablet or her laptop or whatever. 
everything. Her clothes, her shoes, her makeup, her jewelry, uh, her, her, her hairbands, her everything she's got, her socks, everything. She leaves him, she, he leaves her with like one or two outfits, a bar of soap, toothpaste, and a toothbrush. That's it. Oh, you also need to know that this was a week before school started. Then he takes all her stuff, puts it in her closet, chains the door shut, and padlocks it. Now, on the one hand, you're like, oh, so heartless. On the other hand, I'm like, dude, $541, that would buy a new wardrobe. You'd be just fine, right? We could have got you new school clothes. Lots of them. I shop at Kohl's at the 80% off rack, you know? Like, we'd be golden with $500. But that's not all. He said, look, babe, what you did was, was wrong, and you don't have a job. <laughs> so you're going to work this off. And so what he did was he took all of her stuff, and he took Post-it notes, and he wrote a number. Can you show the picture? He put a number on these post-it notes, and he puts them on sections of clothes, and on every pair of shoes, and on every, uh, every uh, piece of jewelry, on every, her perfume and her makeup and everything. And those numbers represent how many chores she has to do to earn that back. Now, punishment? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Training? You better believe it. I love the quote from this girl. She goes to her dad, and uh, this, is what made, th- this is what made news, I think. She goes to her dad, and she says, Dad, I know you love me. And that's why you're doing this. I messed up. I'm going to work this off. And he said that the next morning she woke up at 6.30 in the morning and she started doing those chores and she's been doing it every day. Discipline doesn't have to be a bad thing. But sometimes life gets crazy and we need some training. And that's what discipline is about. Just as it said in verse 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces what? A harvest of righteousness and Peace for those who have been trained by it. One of the things that really pulls a lot of people away from God and away from church is when they're suffering in life. And we look at that and you're like, I don't see how, I don't see how there's a God who loves us if there's bad stuff in the world. And i got to be honest, I've been in that boat so many times. I'm looking at these refugees over in the Middle East right now, and there's millions of them being displaced from their homes because of crazy radicals. And I'm looking at that going, Why? But here's one thing I'm I'm, I'm constantly reminded of is that God does love us. And sometimes bad things happen in life because he's given us all the free will to do what we want. Do you get to do what you want? Does God come and micromanage your life every day? Aren't you glad about that sometimes? But he allows that to the degree that sometimes people do bad things. And there's suffering. And sometimes there's times that the river takes us in the current and we've got no control of it. But he doesn't leave us completely helpless. What he says is that we can look at these hardships as discipline. We can let it train us for another time. And I think most of us has been in a situation where we can look back and go, you know, I'm, I'm better and I'm stronger because of something that happened behind me. And not only can I move forward with more confidence and more resolve, but I can also help somebody else along the way. Isn't that right? Wax on, wax off, sand the floor. Paint the fence. You following me? That's life. But going through those motions gives us the muscle memory and the ability to look back and make decisions based on what we've experienced in the past. Here's the thing that I believe, though. I don't think that God is setting us up going, here's the thing. My goal to make you an awesome human being is to make life absolutely suck. And then at the end of the day, you'll be a good person. Because life doesn't absolutely suck, does it? Sometimes it's awesome. 
God gives us beautiful, wonderful moments in addition to those suffering times. What I believe is that those discipline, th- those hard times can, can be disciplined and train us, but that God ultimately wants us to be trained towards righteousness and towards holiness. When you look in the Bible and you see the names of the people who follow Jesus every day, they were called the disciples. You ever hear that? Most of us have, right? The disciples. These are the guys who follow Jesus. And the word disciple means a learner. In fact, the word disciple has the exact same root word as the word discipline. Because being discipled is about being trained. It's about learning. And so as God wants us to learn and deal with life and move on step by step and take the, 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 the rapids and the cold water and all that and use it to his glory and produce a harvest of righteousness and peace and all that, he also wants us to be discipled, to be trained and to learn to be more like him every day. That's why the disciples followed Jesus literally day in and day out. They watched what he did. They heard what he said. They listened to his teaching. They asked him hard questions. And so as we wrap up today, what I want to do is I want to close this out with, uh, with, with kind of a different edge of discipline. There, there's the kind of reactive discipline that we've talked about. Reactive being, I'm kind of stepping in the current of life. I need to kind of learn to gauge the water, push off the rocks, all that, follow the metaphor. But the whole idea is sometimes rocks throws us, uh, life throws us things that we can't, we, we can't plan for, but we can let it grow us. On the other hand, that's reactive. On the other hand, there's proactive discipline. And I say, I, I'm going to do this on purpose. I'm going to grow myself to make myself stronger and closer to God than I would be otherwise. And so what I've done is I like just studying that whole rest of the passage from Hebrews chapter 12. I tried to pull out what might be just two big uh, nuggets of truth that we could all chew on. Things that we can just walk away and say, okay, if I can do these two things, I can learn the discipline of God and I can uh, rise above the struggle of life and I can be the person that God created me to be. And so we're going to go through those. If, you, if you're a note taker, this would be a great time to write a few things down. Uh, the first one is this. I believe this imperative that we create habits that set our eyes on Jesus. Focus, Daniel, son, right? But we're not just going to do it. Just, just like Daniel in the video clip was like constantly distracted, we've got to constantly draw our eyes back to Jesus. It's got to be a discipline over and over. And so there's a lot of ways that we can create habits to focus our eyes on Jesus. Uh, there's some of the time-tested, uh, I might even call them old-school ways that have been around for hundreds of years. We've got, you know, read your Bible and, and pray and be in a relationship with someone that can kind of hold you accountable. And, like, those things are really good. Um, what I want to do in addition to some of those things, and I want to give you two uh, more, I guess, modern resources that we have uh, here at Venture Church that will help you to grow. The first one is something that's called the YouVersion Bible app. Um, because, like I said, a time-tested and honored and very working model for growing and focusing on Jesus is to read our Bible. Like our Bible is not just a book that we set on our shelf or that your grandma gets a giant one to put on the coffee table so she can write something on the first page when somebody's born. Like that's not what the Bible's for. The Bible is God's instruction manual for life. It's how we get the truth that we need to survive. So what I want to encourage us as a community to do is to get in the Bible. And the YouVersion Bible app is a great way to do that. Uh, we use our phone often for annoying or for bad, right? Our phone is just, we have this, these smartphones. Everybody's got this supercomputer in their pocket now. What if we employ it for really good? The YouVersion Bible app is one way to do that. You can download this app for free, bible.com slash app, or just go to your app store and type in Bible. It'll be that little logo up there. Uh, in that is not only the Bible, that's free, by the way, it's a free app. A church uh, has developed it and it's now got literally millions of users. Um, the Bible's in there, several translations of the Bible if you've got one that you prefer. But also, uh, there are dozens and dozens of Bible studies. 
like daily devotionals, and it'll send you a text message alert, like, don't forget to do your Bible study today. Wouldn't that be great? It's like, thanks, Siri. Um, and, you know, you can, you can also set up some, uh, there's an online, an online community in the YouVersion Bible app, kind of like Facebook, but the whole purpose of it is to just kind of, you develop friends that are also using the app, and you can encourage one another. There are people through the app that will pray for you. It's a really cool, uh, really cool tool, YouVersion Bible app. I want to encourage you, if you don't have a deliberate way to get in the Bible on a regular basis, that you come up with one this week. And it might be to download this app before. If right now, if you pull your phone out right now and just want to do it, that's fine with me. Just do it. Get on there and pull it out and download the Bible app and just play with it for the rest of the service. You can tune me out if you need to, just to figure out how you can get in the Bible more often because that is creating a habit that helps us set our eyes on Jesus. And there's lots of resources in there. The second one that I want to let you know about is something called Right Now Media. Uh, Right Now Media uh, you can access Right Now Media at jointheventure.com slash right now media, but it's not our product. Uh, right Now Media has been described as Netflix for Christian video, video resources. Everyone knows about Netflix, right? They own the world and video content. Um, for years and years, there have been really great teachers who have developed DVD series to teach through a book of the Bible or a concept or a sermon series. Lots of great preachers around the world have their videos filmed every week and it's on the line somewhere. But what Right Now Media has done is they've brought all of those things together and they've made it in a form like Netflix where you can get on and you can browse by category and by topic and you can go on. There's a great kids section. Uh, some of us will, will, will love to sit our kids in front of a TV, Disney Channel, Nickelodeon, or or just Netflix or something, uh, there are some amazing kids' video resources on Right Now Media. Uh, in fact, I will give this little plug. Brent and the, his team that do our children's ministry in the back, their, uh, their elementary curriculum is all available for free on Right Now Media. Here's the way this works, okay? Uh, you can go to Right Now Media, and I think you can pay for a membership or something. But because we're such a new church, they actually contacted us and gave us a free three-year membership. Uh, and... Through this link, you can get to a unique page where you can go in. You can get your own user account. It'll be yours. No one else will see it. You can have your own login, your email address, and you can use it for your own growth and discipline as you learn to focus on Jesus. What I would recommend is get with your spouse, get with your family, say, hey, guys, let's just cruise through Right Now Media, pick a video series you want to watch together, maybe watch one a week. If the kids love it, I'm telling you, there's some of the series that my kids are like, can we please watch the rest of this? Okay, sure. We want to pour some God's truth into you. Pull my leg, let's make popcorn. You know, do that. And that'd be a great way to create habits to focus your eyes on Jesus. There's lots of ways uh, to do it, but these are two that I wanted to make sure that you were aware of. The second thing that's so that's the first thing that I think we need to do to, to learn that proactive discipline. Create habits to help us focus on Jesus. The second one comes into the wax on, wax off, sand the floor, paint the fence category. It is surround yourself with people who will help you grow. Because we can't do this by ourselves. Good gracious, I could not do this by myself. Like, I can't be a good God chaser all by myself. I got a group of guys that I meet with every week. And these guys, they pour into me. They pray for me. They slap me when I need to be slapped. They, 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 we talk about the important things of life, and I do it back for them. And I'm telling you, it's, you can't do this by yourself. That's why Jesus allowed the disciples to surround themselves with each other. It's important. And so I got a couple suggestions for you on how you could begin to get in that daily work of putting in the exercise, you know, working out your arms, wax on, wax off. The first one is just simply come to church every week. 
<laughs> come to church every week. Uh, if you're in the habit of, of maybe this is your first time here, that's great. I would just encourage you, come back next week. Like, be a part of church one more time. Uh, and if you're someone who comes like once a month or once every six weeks, I'm not telling you this because I want attendance to be good. Go to another church if you think that's what I think. What I want you to do is be in relationships with people. Seriously, I don't want you to go to another church. I like you. But what I'm telling you is be somewhere where you're building relationships with people. Something as simple as sitting on the same row as somebody else for a couple weeks in a row, I got a feeling a lot of you know each other because you're like, I know them. We sit together in church, <laughs> you know, and you build a friendship. That's the first step. It's not like the end all. Go to church together weekly. Um, the second one is this. Maybe you want to join a little bit closer group. Today actually starts our small group sign up for the fall. Uh, we've had a couple semester seasons of, of small groups, and small groups is like you know, 10 to 12 people that meet at somebody's house and just... Uh, they, most groups meet every other week, and there are different parts of our city. And, and at the back of the room here today, maybe you saw it when you came in, we've got a map of the city of Wilmington. We've got little arrows that point to where all the small groups are meeting. And kind of on the table level, you've got um, some descriptions of the different groups. I would encourage you to say, you know what, I need to get into this wax on, wax off, sand the floor, paint the fence mode. I need to get into some of this muscle memory exercise stuff with some people. So I'd encourage you, before you leave today, pick one of those groups and sign up. Uh, you're not signing your life away. What will happen is the, the leader will reach out to you and say, uh, hey, you signed up. This is when we're meeting. I hope that you'll come join us. Like, I'm not going to track you down. Um, but they will care. And they will try to get you plugged in. And you can make some really good friends. Uh, the third thing I want to make you aware of is something a little bit different. I said start a micro group. Um, microgroup is not a word you hear a whole lot of, and it's something that we do here at Venture, uh, and it's not something that you sign up for. It's not a program. It's something no one actually even oversees. A microgroup, I told you I met with a group of guys every week. They're my microgroup. It's a group of people we just got together and said, hey, you want to grow together? You want to hold each other accountable for some stuff? Let's do it. Let's just do it. Let's start meeting. When are you free? Tuesday, 4.30? All right, we're in. Um, what we've done there at that back table is I've left a sheet of paper on the far right side, and it just says microgroup at the top. And it has some basic accountability questions that you could begin to ask somebody. It's got some ideas about how to start a group. Um, maybe you come to church with somebody as a friend, and you're like, hey, dude, we're roommates. You want to help start a microgroup with me? I'll tell you what. If two, oh, this is an important thing about microgroups. Microgroups are intended to be three to five people, same gender. You meet once a week. Small group, you got your whole family involved. You're moving it around. Three to five people, same gender once a week. Man, if, we, if i got to work late, I can text somebody and say, guys, can we move to Tuesday, can we move to Wednesday, and it's an easy change. Microgroup is a great way to do that. And there's a lot of you in the room right now who I know are involved in microgroup, and we just kind of we just do that organically. Like it's a way to just kind of encourage you to do it. There's the discussion questions on the paper, but after a few weeks you may decide, we don't need this paper, we, we can do this. We can just have discussion. We can read our Bibles together, whatever. Whatever it takes, surround yourself with people that will help you grow. Focus, Daniel, son. Wax on. Wax off. Sand the floor. Paint the fence. Set your eyes on Jesus. Embrace discipline as training, and you can rise above the struggle, and you can reap a harvest of righteousness and peace, and you'll grow, and God gets the glory. Let's pray. God, how crazy is it that you would have us talk about Karate Kid this morning? <laughs> And then get us to a place where we can understand what it means to be more like you and to grow. Um, Lord, I pray right now for the people in this room right now who might just be in that rough spot. Maybe they're on the rock or stuck in the rapids and it's, it's rough. God, I pray that they can begin to find ways to focus on you. Even if it's just to eek by and come to church a few more weeks so that they can kind of force feed themselves into a, a, a relationship with you. And, or, or if it's to get involved in community. Whatever it is, I just pray 
for that person right now, for their hurting and for their pain. I know that it hurts you when we hurt, and so I pray that we can be there for one another to bring each other out of it. Thank you most of all for Jesus and his love and the way that he's given us a way out. And uh, Lord, we lift all this up to you in Jesus' name. Amen.